So I, jo- I chose to join Al-Anon, which is free nationwide. You can do it virtually in person. Al-Anon is like the groups for families of those that are struggling with substance use and mental health. Al-Anon was a savior for me, a wonderful um, organization that I could connect with other people going through the same thing about their sister or brother or father, loved one, cousin, wife, husband. So we all connect weekly. It's totally anonymous. And you share and you and you hear about the boundary setting. Boundary setting is so important. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. I speak with those who have taken the darkest times of their lives and share their stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to be their best self. That's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. I'm your host, Jason. I accepted that I'm powerless against alcohol, and in my sobriety, I've confronted my unaddressed childhood and adult trauma, as well as severe anxiety and depression. On this episode of the Knockin' Doors Down podcast, I'm joined by Allison Rush. Why did I want to speak with Allison? She's a mental health and addiction recovery advocate. She's worked in celebrity PR management, and part of her work has been in the addiction recovery field. Mental health and addiction recovery is near and dear to her heart because she has a loved one that has suffered greatly from the disease of addiction as well as severe struggles with mental health. We not only discuss the work she's done, she also has a very interesting and strong opinion concerning what's going on with Kanye West, so I wanted to pick her brain about that. She's a wonderful and insightful person, and it's a true pleasure to share this episode with you. Couldn't do the KDD podcast without 5150 LTM. If you look in the show notes, you can click that link there and use the code KDD20. That's KDD20, and you get 20% off a checkout whenever exclusive to listeners of the Knockin' Doors Down podcast. Maybe you want to pick something up for yourself or someone else. Why not go check it out? Use that code and know that 5150LTM is a lifestyle brand with a purpose. The lovely Allison Rush. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. It's not, I, it's amazing. It's taken us this long to do this. I know. I know. The last time I think I saw you guys, we were at Castle Bam uh, with Bam and Brandon up in Pennsylvania two yeah. years ago. <laughs> it's um, been a long time. A long time. I know. I'm so thrilled to to be a part of this. So thank you for having me. Of course. I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, giving a little more background, you know, you've worked in and with treatment facilities for so long. Um that I know some knowledge, so much knowledge has been acquired. I really want to start with this dawned on me last night. I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I want to start with asking Allison about gratitude and how much she's learned about gratitude through the work that you've done. I mean, because you've seen people at their lowest turn their life around, i.e. a Brandon Novak. Absolutely. Yeah. Gratitude. That's a good, good starting point. So Um, Over the last nine years, I've dedicated my life to substance abuse and mental health and and helping people find their way into treatment, good treatment, and also working with the media in my role as public relations and communications in in various facilities, um, working to destigmatize the the plagued industry, right? And you've got people that are suffering and they just feel like outcasts. 
they already feel like they want to crawl out of their skin. And then you've got society just constantly judging them. So my, my mission was to, uh, you know, work on eradicating that and working with the media to get as many stories as I could out there. So the gratitude for me to be able to do that and work with families and see how far they've come. It's, it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. What are some of the biggest like moments for you? Maybe that it, it was there any that occurred where he, it even helped you reframe your life and how you saw yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting thing for me was I started in entertainment. I was at the Willie Morris Agency back in the day. I worked in Latin music in Miami, 2006. I got my start. So I was doing a lot of celebrity events, red carpet events, press kit compilation, music deals, endorsements. And I was learning from some of the best in the industry. I was never truly fulfilled. Mm. And then at that time, I had a, a close family member get sick. And then the universe just brought me into behavioral healthcare. So I was doing hospitality and entertainment. And then I never looked back. I knew that was my calling. And I also knew professionally that good economy, bad economy, there was always going to be a need for healthcare. So it was a good career move. Sure. Um, and then the, the, the chain of events that were happening in my life, I saw someone I loved struggle and I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. And then as I started working in the field, I started to gain the resources and meeting the right people and going to different conventions and listening in on sessions and panel discussions. I've probably been to over a hundred nationwide uh, conferences and just learning from the leaders in our field and the people that have seen this time and time again, the doctors, the providers, um, and just taking everything I could, reading every piece of literature to help somebody that I know personally struggle. And if I wasn't in this field, I don't know if I would have been able to, to have those resources or scholarships or treatment. So I am, I, I owe so much gratitude to the people that have helped me and all the resources I've, I've learned along the way. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing is in this. And, and as we know, I mean, mental health and addiction takes the entire family hostage. And it affects everyone from such a granule, granule level to, to catastrophic proportions because everything is affected. Job, your home, family life. It's just like a bomb going off. And until we have better access and better quality care, we can't fix this until we treat it. And then people also need to know they shouldn't feel the stigma of getting help. So it's half the battle of just admitting you have an issue and feeling comfortable sharing that with someone and then making the choice to go and get help. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot on the person struggling um, and the family. From your perspective, do you think it's a greater challenge for men or women to reach out and ask for that help? Because the interesting thing, the reason I ask that is... As you know, I do two podcasts in this area, one primarily addiction and this mental health and addiction. And the vast majority of listeners are, are men. And I don't know if that's just because more men listen to podcasts or, or, or what it is, because I really worry about our, um, our women in this country. We saw it during the pandemic, the statistics for problem drinking for women, especially married women, skyrocketed. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So Men and women are equally affected by addiction. Um, but I feel like for a man, there is a little bit of 
a pressure, right, with society, a pressure to perform in the workforce, a pressure to be the man of the household, a pressure to be the breadwinner. I feel like there's a lot of pressures society has put on men in general, even though the family dynamic has shifted over the last half century. Women are working, they're in the workforce, they're the mom, and they can be at work, corporate America. We've seen that with women leaders. But I feel like men, there is still more pressure. And it might be harder for men to reach out and get professional help. It's also culturally, you know, sure. um, I know like for me, I have a big Italian family and and uh, my dad's side. And, you know, it was kind of like back in the day, you have a problem, you know, tough it out. You're fine. Like right. snap out of it. You don't go to therapy, you know? Um, and we start to see this shift in cultural paradigm that men it's okay to ask for help and it's okay. You know? So for those listening, I think it's manly when you when you uh, call for help and you get professional help. You know, you're not a therapist. You don't know what you need. You don't know the coping skills, the family dynamic, the education that comes with it. And I think it's great that that we're seeing more and more men um, enter treatment. And just statistically speaking, like you mentioned, I've been in in two, or three pretty big centers, and I've seen the data. Mm. We typically see the male client. It's male skewed that comes in. I would say maybe sixty forty more or less all ages, but typically it's that failure to launch age, that 21 to 34 young guy, uh, mostly experiencing alcohol abuse. Um, but we've seen a huge rise in heroin, huge rise in cocaine and fentanyl, but it's typically male skewed who enter treatment. And typically the mother of the household or the wife or the spouse is researching and looking to make those healthcare decisions. So we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of people affected by this, but obviously it's, it's more skewed towards male. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see that so many people are still afraid to get help and there's still that society pressure. Yeah. You know, one of the things when we were, we were having a, a I think it was a phone conversation we had that, boy, you, you, you about brought me to tears, but I didn't ask you in that call because I went into ultimate empathy mode was, um, as you mentioned, you know, with having a loved one that, that, that has greatly struggled. How then, because it does take the, the toll, what did you do for you to make sure you were in a good place? Because we have, you know, it's why they tell us to put our mask on first, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that was tough for me. I saw someone I loved struggle so bad in, in every way, shape and form. This person was going off the rails up and down bipolar disorder. That's what the person was uh, diagnosed with and in and out of jail in and out of hospitals, um, going through highs and lows. And just to give people background on, on bipolar disorder, um, it is the most complicated brain disease Mm. and there's really nothing you can do to ever cure it, but you can maintain it. There is prescription medication coupled with therapy, um, absolutely have to be treated for it. And bipolar, it's, it's, it comes with various symptoms. There's grandiosity, there's this um, hyposexuality, uh, feeling that they are invincible. So there's a lot of high-risk behaviors, promiscuity, gambling, shopping, um, kind of feeling detached and disassociated with real life, thinking that they can do as they please with no consequences. And it's very, very dangerous. That kind of behavior is highs and lows. So they can have manic depressive symptoms, um, real low mania, um, hyper speech, 
and aggravate, just very irritable and, 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 and aggravated. Um, and so that's where there's run-ins with the law and there's, and there's that, 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 you know, side to it. And then there's highs, they can feel wonderful and they can have rapid speech and get excited about something. And it's, it's just so devastating to see that. And, um, this person was struggling for many years, a couple years were fine. And then boom, one trigger could be, you know, some sort of trauma trigger. And then for about a year of just mania up and down, and then three years, totally fine. Um, we ended up giving this person lithium. That was the only thing that worked because they kept failing out of medications. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the market these days. There's psychedelics people are exploring, um, TMS and things like that. I say, work with your doctor, choose the best thing for you. Um, that's what I was dealing with. And then to answer your question about what was I doing for my mental health, it was hard because, you know, you love somebody and you are up all hours of the night. We've all been there. We know what it's like. And it's just devastating because you can't control that person's life. Yeah. So I jo- I chose to join Al-Anon, which is free nationwide. You can do it virtually in person. Al-Anon is like the groups for families of those that are struggling with substance use and mental health. Al-Anon was a savior for me, a wonderful um, organization that I could connect with other people going through the same thing about their sister or brother or father, loved one, cousin, wife, husband. So we all connect weekly. It's totally anonymous and you share and you, and you hear about the boundary setting. Mm -hmm. Boundary setting is so important and enabling someone time and time again has to stop. It took me a while, but once I did it and I realized I was not in control of their life, I have to give it to God. And I just gave everything to God and, and my higher power. And I said, just every day, one day at a time, help me make the right choice for my own health. And then I could be the healthiest version of myself to give this person my love and, and my care because I can't do it. And I always say, you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to be whole within yourself first, um, like putting the mask on first. Exactly. And until you do that and realize you cannot control the outcome, you just have to pray for them and have strong, healthy boundaries. Your life will be so much better in managing the symptoms of that. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I think one of the beautiful things that I don't know if uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob had planned out, but... uh writers of Alcoholics Anonymous book, by the way, for those who didn't know, like, who are you talking about? Um, <laughs> that, that The beautiful thing, because when my dad, and I don't remember if we've talked about this, but when he got treatment, there was nothing with the family. So then when he was plugged back in, and I think I was about 20, 21, it, it screwed me up because all of a sudden dad wanted to be dad that had never been 
dad to me in that capacity. We never had that butting heads moment that the teenage son has or any of that shit. And, and so we did, and it really kind of threw me for a loop. So I think it's so important what you're sharing because we, we all need a sense of community and the 12 steps. I, I, I've, I've said to many people, if we could have it where we plugged it in, especially like high school age, boy, society would benefit a lot from it, you know, because there's just so many great fundamentals to the 12 steps that I just didn't have as a foundation in life. Mm. Um, And primarily one of the things that you said, boundaries, you know, I didn't know what a boundary was because I wanted everyone to love me. And so I'm doing all those things. And this is how you care, not realizing that that, uh, I was the ultimate manipulator by being a people pleaser. Exactly. It's a coping mechanism. It's how we want to be seen. It's, it's from feeling loss and abandonment. And the way that we want to be seen is through attachment and people pleasing and not having those boundaries. And it takes a while. It's, it's kind of, you build a stoicism with it and, and, and you gain wisdom from it, but only so many years later, right. It would have been effective younger, but we learn later in life. Um, but I, I learned, yeah, the steps were so paramount to my own recovery. And mm-hmm. Al-Anon provided that platform. And the steps are great. I think it's a universal thing to apply to anyone's life. And you also need to forgive yourself and you need to forgive those that perpetrated against you. So whether, you know, and I and I, I works with so many, I work with so many clients that experience this. A lot of the times, aside from genetics, in the environment they were raised in, Maybe there was molestation and abuse and physical abuse. It's terrible what somebody has to go through. And so for those that had suffered, not, I'm not going to say victims, I'm going to say as survivors, as survivors of that, I truly feel because the innocence and that young vulnerability and being taken advantage, I can only imagine. And then of course, later in life, developing mental health disorders and substance use disorders, but if they only could forgive themselves that it's not them who did that, that they were violated and it's just a whole other world that they can live in and live their life. And once they can forgive themselves and forgive those that, that perpetrated. And, and I always come from the place of, you know what, you have to accept the way people are. Unfortunately, there are bad people in this world. And once you can accept that and pray for them, pray for their souls and forgive yourself, forgive yourself for feeling any kind of guilt or shame about it yeah. and hiding something. And maybe people didn't believe you, or maybe, you know, it, it was hard. I mean, I know, I know a girl, this has happened to her in, in a church setting for, for decades. Um, it's sad. It's sad, but you know what? You can change your life and you can forgive yourself and just that weight off your shoulders. Don't you want to just forgive and not hold that toxicity in even, even the people that did you wrong and did terrible things they need God, you know, they need 12 steps, they need Al-Anon. And it's like, that is just going to give you an open heart, open mind to move on with your life. And so many people stop drinking once they realize I'm in control of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't need to ever get an apology from someone who perpetrated against me, because do you really need that? Do you really need to give them the power to tell them I did this to you? You already know that. So for a lot of the people that I work with, and the families, um, there's a lot of deep-seated trauma from childhood and beyond. And 
We just have to do better as, as parents uh, raising our kids, right? Watching everywhere they go and making sure that they're not with strangers. It's a different time than it was 20 years ago. We were so trusting then. And now it's like we lock, <laughs> we lock our doors. My mom used to keep their door open and we don't do that anymore, you know? Yeah. And it's just a, a different time. We have to be careful. So anyway, this whole long-winded thing about <laughs> trauma, a whole, a whole other tangent. I'm just thinking because I just worked with three survivors of this. And uh, Al-Anon and AA saved them, changed yeah. their life, the 12 steps, particularly because of the trauma and the deep-seated abuse and uh, a deep-rooted abuse. And I do believe that it can help anyone if they just be open-minded about it. You don't have to commit, just be open-minded. And I, and I think we have to, because if we're not, then we don't come with an open mind and, and except that change is necessary, we're not going to be able to break the victim mentality. And the victim mentality is just, I mean, I see it constantly. I went through it. I lived in it. It was my ultimate excuse to continue to, to booze and, and drink and the, the crappy behavior, the dangerous behavior that went along with it. Uh, but I still laugh and get appalled at myself. Like, uh, I, I remember more instances like, oh, my God, what the hell was wrong with me? Um, <laughs> but that breaking of the victim mentality. And I had to do that within my own life, taking a look at my, at my you know, my childhood. And um, granted, my parents are amazing. My mom was the ultimate mama bear, um, you know, would never knowingly let anything happen. But there wasn't a lot of emotional conversations in the house either. Uh, but, you know. I've been fortunate. I've gotten the apologies from my parents, especially my dad. But I, but you're right. I didn't need it to break the victim mentality. We we did that so that we could build a relationship. He and I now, which we're right. close now. But uh, yeah, that victim mentality, man that that will take a person down and keep them from ever achieving anything with life. Yeah, definitely. So tell me. Uh, a little more about Allison here. Let's get into you. Um, yeah. We got a little fired up together, uh, and and you brought this topic. I wasn't sure you'd want to talk about it, but we've had a famous individual with some anti-somatic um, statements yeah. in the press, and you know we've had conversations. Uh, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's just. It's a good topic. It's trending. You know, it's relevant today. Uh, mental health, obviously. And yeah. Kanye West, as, as most people know him, and now he's yay. Um, I was following this story for a long time. And I was always a fan of Kanye. You know, sure. I, I, when he dropped college dropout, I was in college. I came to Gainesville where I went to school, went to his concert. I thought he was so talented. And, and he really is a creative genius. But not so much with words, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think with Kanye, I chose to look at it in a different light than most people, right? Yes, I was angry with some of the anti-Semitic remarks. You know, my mom's side's Jewish. I'm Jewish. And, and that, that did offend me. But I, I understand Kanye. Not many people do. Really? I'm empathic to him. And I'll tell you why. Kanye has been very outspoken about him suffering from bipolar. We've sure. seen the symptoms, right? The grandiosity, the disassociation with the reality. It's what he thinks his reality versus consensus. I saw the, the Cuomo interview and the Tucker Carlson interview. 
And I was trying to analyze Kanye so people can just understand the perspective, right? I'm not giving him a pass for what he said, but I also am, right? So let me explain. Kanye, if you think about it, he's been in the limelight for over two decades. So everything he's been going through has been exacerbated by fame. And he can't, he can't, you know, he's not struggling in private. He's not getting help in private. He's doing all of this in the public eye. So on top of that, and then him having, I know there was like a rough relationship with the father and his mother, Donda, and um, she was his everything, right? Saw the documentary. And then what happens to her? She dies, I think maybe a decade ago. I'm not sure when. Mm-hmm. She dies in pl- during having plastic surgery. She dies of vanity. I mean, if you think about it, here's a guy who is so close to his mother, came from nothing, fought so hard to get where he is today, um, never, never gave up, loses his mother. And he's got all of this money and fame. And then what does he do? He marries into one of the um, most... I want to say like most vain families, but a very vain family, although no hate though. Love the Kardashians. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm going to give you that because. I'm uh, saying the perspective, right? All the yes. money and fame and the makeup and the deals. And not that it's a bad thing, but it's it's vanity if you look at it in a different light, right? Yes. And that's what his mother died of. And then he marries into this family and he's just got an identity crisis going on. And it's it's got to be a lot for him. So the bipolar that he's struggling from I'm not surprised he didn't crack soon enough. So I get it. You know, he's going to have rampant speech and, and, and feeling invincible and all those symptoms, all those, all, all of the behaviors that we see that's bipolar, that is manic. And, and he's going through manic episodes and it's so sad to see him because I get him, you know, I'm empathic to that. I totally understand it. And my, my job, I guess, in my role now is to help families struggling to be a little bit more understanding than trying to be understood, be empathic and try to put yourself as best as you can in their shoes. I can only imagine the pain he's going through. I can only imagine all of the handlers and the yes people all around him and worrying about his every move. It's hard for him to get help in private when you have cameras all over you all the time and you've lost part of your family are going through this divorce. Like I'm not making excuses for the guy, but when you put anti-Semitic remarks like that out there, even if you think they're not and they are, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous because he's got so many role models and millions of followers. So to see that, I don't think he may have malintentions, but the mania, I get it. I get the mania and there could be triggers. It could be, you know, trauma. And he went through a terrible accident as well. I mean, there's so much PTSD this man has lived through. I get it, Kanye. Listen, if you're listening, I'll be your life coach. I totally (laughs) get you. I get you. I feel for you. I see people like you every day. Maybe not the fame and the money, but they're everyday people that struggle with bipolar. And it doesn't matter how famous you are, how rich you are. When you have that disease of the mind, you can't pay your way out of it. You know, it's sad. Like you can get the best treatment that money has to buy, but you have to do the work. You have to, um, constantly fight every day. People I know just want to literally take their lives and just, they're like crawling out of their skin. 
Yeah. So to, to hear when people tell me what it's like to have bipolar. And then of course, from a family perspective, I see that it's, it's just heartbreaking. So I'm an advocate for people with mental health. I do not um, agree with Connie's remarks, but I know where they're coming from. I, I get his anger at people and it may not have anything to do with the Jewish people. It's just where he was at the time and place. And that person just so happened to be, I don't know, you know, but he, he's got to do better. There's no excuse. Um, you've got to get help and you've got to get help now because yeah. he's going to either end up in jail or a hospital or God forbid worse. Yeah. And he's got to get the right help for his, his symptoms and his, his mania. It's sad. It is. It is. And I, I applaud you for having the empathy. Cause I, I would imagine that it's sometimes it's hard not to take this stuff personal, but it's so important in life as a tool to not take things personal. I was angry too, though. Like I was like, Adidas better, <laughs> Adidas better drop this man, you know? And then I was like, you know what? I feel for him. I'm sorry that he's going through this. Right. It's not an excuse what he said. Um, I just think he's ignorant in that sense. He doesn't, he doesn't know better yeah. or maybe he does. I don't, you know, but I just feel like it's not coming from a, a mean place. Um, he's just expressing that grandiosity. Like I'm Kanye and nothing can touch me. And that's bipolar. That is saying yeah. like, you know, you're invincible. Adidas yeah. can't drop me. Well, guess what? You learn consequences in life. You know, right. whether you think it's anti-Semitic or not, whether you think you're not manic or not, or you're okay or not, like you're going to have to deal with the consequences and Adidas slow walked their decision, but they, they made one sure. um, along, along with Balenciaga and other well-known brands. And I'm surprised it took this long. Let me ask you that though, as a lady that I, you know, I know you work contracts and so I'm going to guess, you know, there's uh, obviously the morality clause. Don't you think a lot of that, but my opinion, I saw people all over social media, Twitter. And I just simply put, there is a due process of law that they have to go, okay, we can button up this uh, morality clause and thus terminate this contract. Don't you think there was probably a bit of time that they had to, you know, take that process? Yeah. I mean, just I look at it both. I look exactly. I look at it both ways. Like, are there internal protocols that need to be had and people right. coming together from all different offices around the world and really assessing this major, major financial situation, of course, their stocks have gone down and, you know, it affects everyone. Um, but he was rambling on about this stuff months before this. So sure. taking that stand early enough, maybe would have helped them. Um, but regardless, you know, and I always tell people this as a, as a PR professional, always have a crisis communications plan. <laughs> Adidas clearly did not. They <laughs> right. did not. And if they did, they were dragging their feet on it and they slow walked it. They didn't even slow walk it. They slow crawled it. Right. <laughs> they, they just, you know, and brands need to start standing up to that. But then again, like I said, you've got someone who's very, very sick mentally. Yeah. So it, it's, it's very problematic. Um, it's, it's hard for brands. You know, when you align with a celebrity, you do an endorsement deal. That's what, that's the risk you take. Luckily for these big corporations and have good attorneys, there's stipulations in their contracts that, you know, um, give them the, the right of way to back out of a deal. If one of their endorsers or endorsees, I should say, like Kanye or yay, um, become manic or have episodes or say anti-Semitic remarks or, or, you know, spew hate speech, they can get out of that because of the reputation, the damage and things like that. But even, even just from like a more morality standpoint, it's like, 
are you just going to wait until it gets really bad? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they did. I mean, they slow walked it and um, no organization should take that long. And, yeah. and you can't align yourselves with people that are literally a ticking time bomb. That's what yeah. you get. The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and therefore are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilities facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Uh, slow rolling. It just makes me think of the government and the fentanyl crisis, you know, hey, not making light of, uh, the, you know, people that got COVID and lost their life. But uh, I don't know, government was stats are showing over 100,000 between the age of uh, was it 16 and 43 right now that we're losing from overdose. We might want to start addressing this a little bit better. Well, I hear in, in different news sources, it's the number one cause of death right now amongst 18 to 25. Yeah. Um, due to so many factors, which we know, and that would, that would take another whole session to go into yeah. that, but it is really, the numbers are sobering. Um, I will say this, you know, I, uh, nominally some statistics, but they're from 2021. I, I don't think they've aggregated the data yet. Uh, or sorry, they're for 2020. They haven't obviously aggregated the data for 2021. And obviously we're not through 2022 yet, but, um, one in five people experience a mental illness. Mm-hmm. One in 20 experience a serious mental illness. So like schizophrenia, bipolar, schizoaffective disorders, one in 15 experience both substance use and mental health disorder. And 12 million people in the U.S. have had serious thoughts of suicide. So we have about 330 million people in the U.S. That's w- roughly one in 20. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty crazy to know one in 20 people um, have attempted or not attempted, sorry, had a suicidal ideations, thought about it. So it's, you look at 19 of your closest friends and family and they're good. Like, you know, maybe it's you, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, I hope it's no, it you know? I mean, right. It's us. Um, but we can do something about it. Right. Um, there, there are resources and that's kind of, you asked about me truly what I want to do in the life I have this beautiful life that I don't want to take for granted. And that every day I try to find joy in life, even though we're living in really tough times and very uncharted territory, right? Um, just be compassionate, educate yourself, learn from the leaders in the field, um, read books, psychiatry books. I, I try to educate myself so I could be equipped to help somebody. I can't obviously give medical advice, but I can say, look, in my situation, this is what I did and help me and just be a shoulder for people and help them try to find credible and reputable resources. So part of what I've done in the last almost decade is I started treatment centers. I do their branding. I I help with getting them going from small enterprise to large, um, one of the centers I had left, there was about a hundred employees when I started left 1500 employees. Like I've seen the growth, steady growth, and they've done a lot of things, right. And some of those things I tell people is strong clinical program. Don't cut corners. You want to make sure that if 
you're looking for treatment for your loved one, ask yourself, you know, who, you know, which is the best place for me and how do I go about finding that? You can go online and unlock, obviously that's where we get most of our information on Google, but do yourself a favor and ask up to see their licensure. You can request a copy. Go do, I know in Florida we have DCF and there's health and human services and other states. Ask to find their licensure, find out who their medical director is. So many people go to these centers and there's a lot of scam out there. And yeah. so one of the things I tell families is make sure that they're accredited. Um, Joint commission holds them to a higher standard. They look at everything from background checks with HR, making sure that all of their therapists are licensed and not expired licensure, that there's no discrepancies or behavioral issues with the board, the state board. Um, you also want to make sure that that person is having a thorough assessment and nothing is missed and that they that program is the right fit. So if you, let's say, are experiencing a psychotic episode, a residential treatment center may not be acute enough. You might have to go to a hospital setting that is unfortunately locked down, but usually it's a 72-hour hold. I know in Florida, it's the Baker Act. Or, uh, Baker Act. And then um, you know, after that, where do they go? They need to have a, a transition plan. Usually it's residential inpatient care. They have to have a mental health license to treat a primary diagnosis. Most centers don't have that. Right. So it's a mental health primary licensure. If you go to a substance use center and your loved one is experiencing both mental health and substance, then dual diagnosis is the most appropriate program. You want to make sure that that center can do that. Um, and then if it's just mental health and they're not exhibiting any signs of substance abuse or any addiction, it's just strictly mental health. There are separate centers for that, which I highly recommend to keep it separate. Um, some places I've heard horror stories. They mix the, out, the addiction patients with mental oh, yeah. health. The group sessions are not properly regulated. Um, the doctors don't see them once a week. A medical doctor, a psychiatrist, not psychologist or intern or therapist. So, you know, I, it just breaks my heart to see so many people in this business for money. But I do believe that there are a lot of good providers out there that are in this for the right reasons. And I'm trying to guide those families as to what I'm doing today. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with, uh, with body brokers, the film, and I don't know if you've seen it, but, uh, you know, I haven't seen it, but I, 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 you lived I, lo it, I love, <laughs> I love Frank Grillo. He's the best <laughs> great yeah. actor. Um, but yeah, I lived it. And for many years I've seen it, unfortunately. Yeah. And it, and it's just absolutely heartbreaking that those that are in their ultimate state of need, and I don't just mean the individual, but the family, um, th that it's taken advantage of, uh, you know, looking back, thinking about my dad, uh, first place I can think of was Betty Ford center that he went to and was okay, but he was uh, dual diagnosed because he needed to confront, uh, uh, sexual addiction as well. So he went somewhere else. It was pretty good. And then the final place he went, uh, was good for him because it was a little, as he put, it's really hippy dippy do here, but for him, it was good because it, it, you know, it got him in touch with something that wasn't ever present in his life to be a little more grounded, connected with nature and understanding of certain things. And so that was, was really beneficial, but, um, but it's sad to see, you know, you know, now I work with a, a nonprofit and the founder, he has a treatment facility. And so where we're at, we're, we're seeing it all the time with these places that, that we know a multitude of people are, are getting scammed and it's yeah. heart wrenching when these people, they just, your loved ones, we just don't want them to die. 
Yeah. We want them to have a chance to get better. That's the, that's the thing. We just want a chance for them to get better. All I wanted was a chance to get better. Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm in this role where I've seen a lot and I know the good players and I know the bad players and I yeah. stay far away from them. Um, and karma never loses an address. You know, at some point, if you're not doing the right thing, um, the right thing will be done to you. And I truly believe that. And if you do the right thing, the money will come. So the people that want to make a living, that's okay. You can run a business. You can open up a center. But but don't ever lose yourself in the money. Don't ever lose yourself in cutting corners. Um, do the right thing. Build up your name. You only have your reputation. I've built yeah. brands and you only have your reputation. What's the cost? What's, what are you going to put a price on your name? You know, um, invest in good PR, hire somebody that knows what they're talking about, <laughs> hire, hire people that, um, you know, that work for the greater good of, of your clients. And that really are into the data, you know, outcome-based studies is so important. That's why most centers, um, that I have worked with have a family or alumni program. And you, so if you're a family and, and you're trying to navigate these deep, deep, scary waters of, of treatment, right? Um, so many ads thrown at you, you're looking online, you don't know what to do. What I would say is on top of what I previously mentioned of asking for licensure, asking for a schedule, who does my, my loved one see on a weekly basis? Is there a medical director? Who are they? How often are they seen and treated? What, what do you recommend as the treatment protocol? Because sometimes medications aren't for everyone. There's medicated assisted treatment, um, medication assisted treatment. So there's so many different areas and you just have to make sure that the, that center is equipped to handle that level of care, that criteria that that patient has met. Um, and, you know, I've seen centers that just can't handle it or they're not equipped, but they'll just, Hey, it's another admit. It's more insurance money. That is so wrong. And I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again. It just has to stop. So until these providers start doing the right thing, families can be rest assured, but they've got to be on the defense. They've got to, they've got to be weary. They should ask so many questions, get the licensure. Um, and, you know, even with interventions, it's like, who, who, who do you go to? Cause even interventionists can be, you know, you gotta be careful with those people out there and they get kickbacks from centers. So um, a lot of that has died down. There's been a lot of tasks force, tasks, task force, <laughs> task force, and um, a lot it. of a big crackdown in Florida for sure. We've made strides. We've Which eradicated a, a lot of the bad players, but there's still bad players. Yeah. And wherever there's money, there's fraud and insurance billing. So you just have to be on the defense. You have to really know. Um, who has your best interest? And to do that is to do research on the facility, look at the reviews, talk to people. Um, you know, do they have a strong family program? Do they have a good alumni program and things like that? And yeah. it's, it's tough. I mean, look, people ask me all the time, well, how do you define success? Right. How do you define success at your treatment center? Well, we can look at the numbers all day and with alumni, we can call them a week out, two weeks out, a month out, six months out. Hey, how you doing? You're still sober. You're going to our recovery events, our community, our recovery oriented events. And we'd love to have you at our next speaking session. And some of them drop off. Um, a lot of them relapse. The recidivism rate is high. We know this. So any center that tells you it's more than 50, it's, we're, we have more than 50% sober. They're lying. Um, <laughs> you know, we guarantee make, recovery, right? Right. That's just, sure. Sure. we have a cure for recovery. That's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. And 
I, I don't necessarily, so, so how to define success is if you are an addict and you relapse and you get back up, I think that's success because relapsing is part of the journey. And the more that you are dedicated to getting back up, you still learn everything in treatment. You still know coping skills. You still can apply that. You have still done time. It's not lost time. You could be 10 years sober and relapse. You're st- that still counts for something. You just got to get back up. What went wrong? What happened? What triggered you? What stressor, you know, something in life that maybe had enabled you and just learn, relearn it and yeah. go back. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing to get back up and go. And I think that is still success because you're still learning those coping skills you learn in treatment. Now for the family, what success is that the family may have a loved one going through relapse, but every time that relapse gets a little bit easier in the sense that they know boundary setting and healthy coping skills, and they're in Al-Anon groups and they have resources now that they wouldn't otherwise have. So I think defining success is up to the individual not so much a collective with data, which you can find. But, you know, for me, if my loved one decides to stop taking their meds and they relapse, I'm still a success in the meaning of, I'm not going to let this destroy me like I used to. Sure. And I'm going to do everything I can to help myself to help this person, but with boundaries and being healthy because I can't lose myself in doing this. And it's not fair to me and my immediate family. So it's like, you know, there's a line you draw and you have to have a strong support system. So when people say, well, how do you measure success? That is success. Yeah. How you learn from what you've been through and applying it for the next time. And hopefully there's no next time, but you know, it's tough to struggle. It's tough to keep sober. There's a real struggle that people go through and COVID just exacerbated that. I mean, yeah. it's not like we wanted this, you know, on top of an art, an already existing problem. Yeah, it did for me. I mean, that's when, you know, mine was, I mean, I'll be coming up on two years, February 15th. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. Um, But I'm going to mirror a lot of what you said and and throw some things in there is that, you know, somebody was like, oh, you know, relapse part of your recovery. And I went, no, no, no. It's part of my disease of addiction. Uh, my, my recovery is a different thing. I wouldn't put them in the same frame. I I relapsed because I had yet to exercise all the tools, but the success of the recovery is that I found connectivity that has maintained. That is so important. It is the opposite of addiction is getting that connectivity. And I had people that were there for me, judgment free, because, you know, they've been through it too. Uh, literally, my now sponsor, he just laughed and he, he's like, wait a minute, you're on the third beer and calling me? I'm like, yeah, man, I can't believe I, I drove to the store. I don't even remember. I was sober, drove to the store, don't even remember buying it. Here I am calling you. He goes, man, you should have went out in style. You know, I expected you to be sloppy, you know, give, busting my balls. And um, but he's like, I'm proud of you, man. He's like, God, I don't know how many times I relapsed and, you know, and he goes, but this isn't a part of your recovery. This is part of your disease. And you got some, some step work and we're going to keep it going. We're going to get, get you going. And I, I think the individual, the addict themselves and the family need to understand that and the quicker you can reconnect to that community and continually be involved in, in evolve your environment and those around you the more successful you're going to be. Because at the end of the day, as the addict, it comes down to me. Am I going to do the work? Am I going to continue to live with rigorous honesty with myself, thus the rest of the world? Absolutely. Amen. That's, that's something that I just wish people knew that 
life could be so different if they just apply themselves and try and get back up. You fall yeah. down, get back up. That's life. It's not hundred percent easy, but you've, you've got to learn those skills that you learn. That's why everyone says treatment, treatment does work. It does work. Yes. It works if you apply yourself because you get to learn from other professionals that live and breathe this every day and give you the tools to succeed and help you. Um, and just let them guide you, give it up. Just, just stop trying to control, just surrender, surrender, give it to God, your higher power, let the professionals guide you align yourself with a good center, do the research. And if you have a strong support system and family you are very lucky and let them help you reach out, you know, and that's, that's the big thing for me is when I told you earlier, the whole stigmatization, you know, I've made up my life's work to work in PR in this field and work with as many media uh, members and reporters and journalists as I can, that'll shine a light. It's hard. I'm pitching day and day, um, recovery month comes up, or if it's national overdose day, you know, I'm pitching recovery speakers to share their story. And I think platforms like good morning America or the today show, or even local good morning, good morning shows, um, morning shows, they have a duty to cover this as well. And I really believe that they should cover more stories like this. And it's not just what dictates with advertisers. It's truly the goodwill of the community. And a lot of parents want to hear this one in five, one in five, that is huge audience. Mm-hmm. So any, any time that we have an opportunity to share stories of success and how did families cope and what they're struggling with is a success to me. And I love seeing more of that. We destigmatize it. People are more inclined to pick up the phone and call. And that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And I don't care who you call, just call. No, well, actually I do care who you call. Don't call someone who's not, <laughs> don't call somebody who's not going to help you. You want to make sure it's a good place, but you know, give yourself the opportunity to get help and get it professionally help. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it'll click. Yeah. And hopefully it'll click sooner than later. So you're not a statistic. Um, and I really just, I want the families to be able to heal and live their lives again. I have such a soft spot for them, obviously personally too. But when I see the families heal and I see that they can accept things and learn to take care of themselves and put those boundaries up, it's a whole new world for them. And they can understand their addict, um, their loved one. They can understand it's a disease. They can understand a lot more than they ever did. Because in the beginning, you're angry. You're, you're my, you might be guilty. Oh my God, I'm a terrible parent. I'm a terrible wife. What have I done? It has nothing to do with that. And once you see that through these workshops, through Al-Anon, through these group sessions and a strong family program, it's a whole nother world. Yeah. Um, and I really hope everyone is able to have that gift. I hope Kanye is able to have this. Yay is able to have this yeah. gift too. And I hope that, um, you know, we can see more people to help with life coaching and to just, just, they just need some guidance. Somebody that's not afraid to say to someone who's famous or, you know, I'm not starstruck. I've worked with so many celebrities at this point. Okay. <laughs> right. um, yeah. You're doing this wrong. Like you should try this. Yeah. And I don't really care what you say. Cause it's like your life, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it'll be good. <laughs> so I, I do try to like wrangle some of the families that think they know better. And I'm like, okay, well you can try, you can try yeah. this way. You could try the way that works. What are you gonna and you're you're spot on. I, I remember when we uh sat down and talked with Charlie Sheen and I had I had asked him, I don't remember if it was the first time or the second time, 
and uh, it was about the yes men. I was like, as someone from the outside who had a family member that my dad, you know, he was doing very well in his industry, but he had a lot of other addicts and a lot of yes men around and a lot of people with the supplies, like from the outside, when everybody's laughing at tiger blood and everything else, I was pissed off that you had a group of people around you because the paycheck was still coming in just fine with it. Well, it's almost like you don't know who your real friends are, right? So like Charlie oh God, Sheen's yeah. of the world, the yays of the world, you have so much money and so much fame. How do you see through to somebody who truly wants to just love your soul? Yeah. Regardless of the money and the fame and the movies and the music and all this bullshit in the world. It's like, I can only imagine them having a hard time with that identity and this other persona of who they know who they are. But then there's like this public image of who they are and all the money. And it's like, you gotta be careful because there's people trying to get that money and trying to, you know, do deals with you and sign me or, or, you know, do sign with me and do this. And the the shark agents out there, I know, because I've been in that world. Um, (laughs) Yes. You've warned me many a time. And so they're coddled with yes all over the place. And when you're coddled so much and you're invincible and you can do anything and spend anything, it's just, it does make you crack one day. Right. And, um, you know, I've seen this so many times. I've seen celebrities lose everything. I've seen major business people and millionaires lose everything to addiction, lose everything to mental health because they never had somebody, a support system, a true support system, guide them to the right place. Um, It's tough. I'm sure a lot of his handlers, you know, maybe there are centers they know of and there could be kickbacks. There could be, you know, it's who, you know, it's really not who, you know, it's really what's good for the person. (laughs) So unfortunately they're not, they're not, it's not clear for them, the celebrities, but it was great time working with you guys on the podcast. Cause we had Kelly Osborne on there, yeah. Novak, Margera a few times. Um, we had Charlie Sheen and Denise. Um, they were yeah. wonderful interviews and it was great working with all those guys and you guys you guys have an awesome platform and I know it's only going to grow from here. God willing. Oh, so. I hope I'm still going. I haven't given up the fight. You know, I don't. <laughs> I, I know you saw that post the other day about the uh, the individual that reached out that they were about yes. to use, and then found the interview with Edward Furlong. And boy, I, I yeah, that was one of our first interviews we booked with, with Edward. Yeah, that was like a god shot. That it was like. Yeah, I've been going through that phase yeah. and talking with my significant other about, you know, do I stop yeah. doing this thing or whatever? And it's like, how do you give up? You, you, you're making a difference with you're with, making a difference yeah. directly or indirectly. It's it's amazing because the more we share, the more we talk, the more we expose it. That's why I want the media to shine more lights on this, you know, yeah. and that's my job. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to I'm going to every every no I get, there's got to be a yes. So I'm going to hound the good morning America's in the world. And I have tons of beautiful stories of people that can discuss their journey and what they've been through and how the next person listening could pick up that phone. And that's, that's what it's about. And, and yeah. podcasts like this. So yeah. yeah. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if go after it, grab it and make it happen. 
Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Well, Allison, it's time to switch to some fun. Are you ready to have some fun? Not that we're, it's not always. fun. You're always a joy. <laughs> All right. Time for some random questions here. Uh, okay. Where do I want to kick off? All right. This is a fun one because you've worked around entertainment. So uh, Allison decides to write her book finally, which I think would be fascinating because I know I know more about your story than, than this podcast has time to do. It'll come out soon. One day. Okay. okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> Uh, I so somebody an agent to pick up the film. <laughs> it's based on a true story. It's incredible. You've heard it. So, uh, no, you are the agent. what are you talking about? I'll make uh, you, those I'm days gonna... are over. I, I help. Yeah. I do manage a few celebrities and I do book them for some, um, deals, but I, I don't know. I'm not a full-time agent for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> much stress I can't deal with. I'd rather have the agent book me the deals. <laughs> All right. I would say, I'll get you booking me for something. I don't know what, but, um, so they decide to license it for a movie or a TV series. Who's playing you? Adult you. Oh, it's a good one. Oh, gosh. I don't know. This is tough. I would have to say. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm totally having a brain fart with her name. But, you know, obviously she was Adriana in Sopranos. And I, she's such a great actor. I know I'm having a like, what's wrong with me? Um, I'm, I'm going to use this technology <laughs> of the Internet here. I'm, I'm so bad with names right now. I can't function. <laughs> I only had one cup of coffee today. Um, I, she was like my doppelganger in my 20s. So she looked like me. And um, I just I just love her like feisty Italian side. And um, she would be good at playing and playing my story. Oh, who but, this, but this story takes place of younger me. So I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's yeah. Casting. But um Oh, uh Andrea uh, Demoteo. Andrea Demoteo. Yes, yeah. I knew that. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Drea, I'll never forget your name. I, <laughs> I will never forget you. Um, huge huge fan. But yeah, she would play me if yeah. I had my way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I could see the sassiness, you know, <laughs> the fire. Yeah, Allison's oh, a very uh, passionate person. You know, <laughs> we're having this conversation, so it's not coming out as much. But uh, yeah. it's one of the things I adore about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. You're stranded on a deserted island. You have one music artist, greatest hits and one movie. What are they? Oof, oof, oof. Oh, God, this is tough because there's so many good musicians and so many great movies. Um, you know what? I absolutely think, okay, so maybe the Godfather trilogy, because there's a lot in there. Okay, um, I'll give you a and, trilogy. But right? if, you had to pick, then, if you had to pick just one, what Godfather movie? Uh, I don't know. The first one, maybe. They're all so it's, great. I don't it know. It has to be the first one. Yeah. Ah, oh, God. Um, Come on, let's be honest. Two wasn't, wasn't the best. This, these are hard questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... Music artist, greatest hits. Music artist, greatest hits. Okay, you know, I love Mariah Carey growing up, so we'll go with her. Because she, she's got that those octaves that just are amazing. Her voice, because I could just listen to her her voice all the time. And she's got plenty of albums to choose from. So maybe pick the, the Christmas album, maybe. All right. <laughs> or uh, Butterfly. I like that one. 
personal uh, things you do for enrichment. What's one thing you just love to do? I love to cook. Although my husband says I'm good at it, but he could just be saying that. Um, I doubt that because so. if I'm in Florida, <laughs> I'm hitting you're coming you over like, for I'm, Sunday dinner. I am. Um, I've seen your cooking. Cooking and ballroom dancing, believe it or not. I was a dancer really? growing up and a competitive gymnast. So I went back to my roots, um, you know, from many, many years ago. And I started to do ballroom dancing and I love it. It's so amazing. It's just so stress-free. You can be beginner or advanced. Just just find a local studio and just learn. It's great. I'll so be I, do, I do that. Yeah. Dancing and cooking. Very therapeutic for me. I'll be darned. Does a husband get out there on the dance floor with you? Um, not really, but sometimes depends, you know, if we're at a wedding, you might, you might feel like, okay, everyone's dancing. I'll dance. You know, he's actually good, but not, not like on the regular. You know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, sometimes I got to force him to come on the sure. dance floor with me. Sure. Uh, last book you read. Uh, actually I have been reading the Torah. I read the Torah every night and I read the old Testament and the new Testament. So I've been reading the Torah. I've been reading 52 weeks Bible study. Um, but actual book, God, it's been a while. Um, I actually read a autobiography on Benjamin Franklin <laughs> in North Carolina. Yeah. So I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, that's kind of my thing. And I try to read at least 20 minutes a night just to just get off social media, stop scrolling and just read something like real and something I can just zone out with. Yeah, I can't do social media at night or in the morning anymore. I give myself, I've, I've made myself a promise because now I manage like four different accounts. It's like, nope, I will, <laughs> I, I will get this time, get my head right, get get through yeah. it. That's a, so. You're very um, uh, with your faith. Was your mom really? Uh, uh, God, what's a an Orthodox, Orthodox Jew, or was it no. a little bit looser? And are you, you know, you find a lot of a lot of sense of self yeah. there. I actually, so we were never religious. My grandmother was Orthodox and mm. she came from uh, Russia. And then, um, oh, wow. yeah, part of her family is also from Kiev, Ukraine. So they came from that area. And then they immigrated here before World War II wow. and just missed the Holocaust. So thank God they were here. Um, they were Orthodox, like separate ovens, can't mix dairy and meat, kosher, held the Shabbat every Friday, Friday and Saturday. And then my mom... Jersey girl, you know, they, they came from Russia to Jersey and, and she ended up falling in love with my dad. It was dark Italian, you know, Roman Catholic. And yeah. she was like the first of the family to do that. So it was like, oh my God, oy vey, what are we doing? <laughs> my grandmother like was like, vault. <laughs> but, right? like vault. but then, um, and then obviously, you know, my dad, he's, he's just a wonderful person and, and the family took him in and we were raised Jewish. My father, was always enamored by the Jewish faith. So when he was raised, he was raised in a Catholic Catholic school all through his life. He grew up in, in West Virginia. They, they immigrated from Italy and uh, started working in the coal mining industry. And that's where my great-grandfather and my grandfather were working, the only job that they could get, Great Depression, and just happened to be West Virginia. And this like country boy slash Italian, you know, like sweeps my Jersey Jewish mother off her feet. Um, and that's what happened, but they raised me. However, um, we kind of wanted to be, you know, as long as you're a good person and, you know, you, you believe in doing the right thing. My dad and my mother weren't very religious. They kind of just dropped off right from what yeah. they grew up with. Um, but then I started to incorporating Judaism back into my life recently. Um, I've always been Jewish and aligned with Judaism, but I have such a deep love for, um, 
both Judeo-Christian values and learning about Christianity and Jesus. And there's just a lot of mysticism around that. And I won't go into it too much, but I found myself becoming more um, messianic and Mm. reading both the old and the new. And I think it's just so great, even for Christians and close friends of mine are Christian, their roots are Jewish. Mm. And to go back and just to learn that, there's so much in the Old Testament, you know, from how we structure our laws and legislation and how we work as a society. And there's fundamental laws that are so beautiful, beautiful and universally um, known, you know, and in, in, in all parts of the world. And I think that it's such a great thing to have those commandments and to try to do your best with that. It's hard. We're human. Yeah. It's hard. But I always pray like, God, just give me the strength to get through today. If I'm going through something, you know, wipe it out of my path, keep me on the, on the righteous path. I just want to do the right thing. And it's, it's, it's not easy, but yeah, I've been more in, in tune with my faith. My mother, you know, we celebrate Hanukkah with her. We have Christmas with my dad, but um, it's just interesting. Like growing up with both. Um, I kind of didn't know like, well, I guess we have the Christmas tree and Hanukkah, but people at school would be like, well, you can only be one, you know? And I'm like, yeah. no, I can't. <laughs> so uh, I believe in, I believe in God and, and I believe in, um, doing the right thing. And that's why, you know, when I hear remarks, like what, with what Kanye says, it does make me upset. And I yeah. do believe there's consequences to that, but we can forgive and we can, educate. And I mean, I'd love to have yay if he ever wanted to come to a Shabbat dinner, you know, I, I can show him a couple of things in his history that he has a Jewish, um, he has Jewish roots and, you know, he's a follower of Jesus. So Jesus practiced the laws of Moses and Jesus is Jewish and he held the Sabbath and he, he was proud to be. And there's a lot of controversy with times of Jesus and I've been studying it and everything. And it's really amazing. So I just learned to love everyone, although there are people I want to shake on a daily basis, <laughs> but, um, I love we'll them. Meet both my friend. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Cause it makes us who we are. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of how I grew up and just loving one another and, and, and believing in what you want to believe. Yeah. I, uh, I had the, the blessing of, we had a, a friend when I was in probably junior college. If I think that's, I believe it's junior college. Anyway, she moved, her family had moved, uh, uh, from New York and, um, so it felt very isolated in, in her Jewish faith. So, uh, you know, the group of us was like, okay, well, you know, what's, what's Yom Kippur about? What's the, you know, what are all these things? Uh, you know, and so we just, we celebrated with her. So, and then she did, you know, Christmas and stuff with us. I so it was kind of like cool to just, yeah, it's like a double blessing, right? Yeah. It's like you have Christmas, you have Hanukkah. If you want to get baptized, you want to have bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. It's like another blessing. And yeah. I think it's great. Heck, while you're at it, you know, I've gone to Native American because I have a lot of Native American blood. I've gone to a ceremony before. Very empowering, very enlightening, very beautiful, you know? So it's like, it, it, yeah, the, you know, this sticking to this one thing. Eh, you know, I, I one of my favorite, I'm a big autobiography person, was uh, Bruce Lee's Be Water. You know, it's like, you know, be, be free. We can, <laughs> we can move through things. We can remold and shape ourselves and take in new experiences. Yeah. And anyways, I can go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, but this yeah. is about you. Um, my friend, uh, if you could just leave, uh, you know, the last statement here, so to speak. <laughs> what was it, Jerry Springer? The last words. It's like this shitty show. And then here it is, this beautiful thing. He would say it at the end, whereas this is the opposite. <laughs> beautiful show. We're going to leave you with something beautiful. Um, 
just from your own personal experience and your own struggles and the struggle of loved ones that you would just want to lend to anyone that's, that's listening. I would just say, connect with your higher power and know that God will get you through it. Even if you're not a religious person, you can always seek God, seek a higher power. We are so small in this vast, vast universe that there is a creator and whether it's nature, whether you believe in God, a higher power, um, whoever, just know that connect with that higher power and just know that you don't have to take, you don't have to get yourself out from under it. Rely on that higher power, believe, have faith, trust yourself, forgive yourself and just live your life every day to the fullest. Yeah. I love you, my friend. You're a beautiful person. This has been a real pleasure. Love you too, Jason. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.